0: And if you remain standing now as we hear God's good word together, these words from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. Will you read aloud with me? Come to me, all you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Well, friends, you've made it to September. Congratulations. You, you did it. You made it through August. And, and I feel like it's this time that we, we just all get tired, right? We, we all just get weary in these moments, I, I love getting to meet new people, and, and I love just asking them questions about their life, and I love hearing about people's work and really get kind of interested in that. And, and typically I'll ask people, you know, where they're from and, and, and what they do and about their work, and, and I'll typically ask just to get a little bit know more about their job is, you know, do you have a busy season in your job? Is there a time that's more busy than others? And about this time, for the last few weeks, every time I've asked that question, everybody goes, yeah, now, right? I mean, it's, it's just busy, and we all get weary. Amen. We, we all just get tired in these moments. It seems like work just kind of piles up in these times that really August and September, really now until Christmas, it's just, it's just tiring. It's just a lot to take in, whether it, it's projects or, or work trips or whatever we've got to do. And, and then all of a sudden school starts and, and all of our kids are getting involved in activities and, and, and we get into to soccer and, and to practice and to swim and, and to whatever it is. All of this just piles up right now and we all get weary, right? We all get tired. Even, even our vacations can be tiring. You ever had this? Has anybody, raise your hand, has anybody ever left for a vacation and come back more tired than when they left? Amen? Yes, we've all done that. Why, friends? Why did we do that? There's an awesome quote by, by name, Richard Swinson in the book Margin, and he says this, we have leisure, but little rest. Is there an amen? We have leisure, but little rest. Why? Friends, we have these times in our lives that are built for us to rest, and what do we do? We just pack it more full of stuff. Does anybody have all of your to-do list already filled out for tomorrow, right? We, we've got these things that we've just got to do. We've got to get it done right now, and, and, and you know, I've got to wake up extra early on Saturday so I can get all of these things done, and, and, and we're just not rested. We're, we're just not rested, and that's not even how we describe other people, right? There's, there's typically accolades that we kind of subtly hint at whenever we talk about people and, and we always say, oh yeah, that person's a doer, right? Oh yeah, the person, that person's a hard worker, right? You never hear anybody described as well-rested, right? There's, there's never people like talking about another person at the bar but like, oh yeah, that guy, he got a good night's sleep last night. You can just tell from the way he walks, right? No, that's not how we describe people because we're just tired. We're just tired. And Jesus says these words to us, come to me, all you that are weary, and I will give you rest. I love the way the King James Version translates this passage. Come unto me, all ye that, what friends, labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That word labor, the King James translates as labor in the Greek is kapayeo. And and I think that word is different from just work. I, I want to be clear that Jesus isn't telling us to stop working right? That, that's not Jesus' call in this time. In fact, just a few verses after this passage, Jesus takes the disciples through a field on the Sabbath day, on the day of rest, and they pick grain, an offense to the Sabbath, something you're not supposed to do. And they say, Jesus, wasn't this just what you talked about not doing? We're not supposed to be doing this. And Jesus says, no, you're not paying attention. All that labor, all that yeo this is what I want to focus on, because labor is different from work. Labor is different from work. Labor, I, I, I think, is work, but with no spiritual significance. Work with no spiritual significance. This kapayyeo word comes up again in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5. Jesus is picking his first disciples, and he meets Simon, who will later be called Peter, and he's been fishing, and, and they come up on the shore, and they've come back with nothing. And, and Jesus tells them to cast out once more, but throw their nets on the other side of the boat. There are on the other side of the boat. And so uh, Simon responds to Jesus in this way. It's in the Gospel of Luke chapter 5. He says, Master, we have worked all night long, but have caught what? Nothing. We've worked all night long, but we've caught nothing. Yet if you say so, I'll let down the nets. We've worked all night long and caught nothing. We capilleo, we we worked, but with no spiritual significance. We labored, but there was nothing to show for it. We worked all night long, but caught nothing. Have you ever worked all night long and caught nothing? Have you ever got home at the end of the evening and just collapsed into your chair, or into the bed, and You just took a heavy size. You felt tired to the bone, and you asked yourself, why? What do I have to show for this work? Does this have spiritual significance in my life? Why, friends, have you worked but have no spiritual significance? Jesus says, come to me, and I will give you rest. Jesus calls us, and and he calls us not to stop working, but to find rest in him. And he says the only way to do that is to put first the kingdom of God. To put first the kingdom of God. It's not that we're not supposed to work, but we're supposed to put it in order, right? We're supposed to seek first the kingdom of God, and then everything else will fall into place. But even that, even when we focus on the kingdom of God, sometimes we can make that a labor in itself, right? We can have work labor. Maybe that's the part of your life that you need to focus on, that, that this work aspect of your life, you've never really found the, maybe the, the right ratio of work to family life or, or work to leisure. But maybe, just maybe, some are here tonight and, and you found a religious labor that we can Become hyper focused on practicing a religion rather than practicing a relationship with God. Because these are the people that Jesus is speaking to. That in Jesus' time, the people he was speaking to not only had a work labor, but they had a religious labor. That if you were going to be Jewish in the time of Jesus, it meant that you would follow a total of 613 laws. 613 laws, that's what comprised the Old Testament, the 613 laws, and that was just for the layman. That was just for the layman, that if you wanted to become clergy, you had to memorize the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Exodus Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. You had to memorize. All of those books, in order to become clergy, that's over 5,400 verses that you had to memorize on top of the 600 laws. And then they said you could become religious. And so when it came time for Jesus to choose his disciples, he didn't go to the synagogue and he didn't go to the temple. He didn't go to find the people who were being trained to do these things. No, he went to find the fishermen, the people who weren't good enough to even follow the 600 laws or memorize the 5,000 verses. He went to find the fishermen who had already tried all this and gotten kicked out. They weren't good enough. Jesus comes to them, and he says, Come, you will find rest in me, for he says, My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. In case you were wondering, this is a yoke. Uh, It's used to bind uh, two animals together, whether to help pull a plow or or a cart of any kind. And and this was common in, in the time of Jesus. A yoke not only referred to this, but in the time of Jesus, if you were a rabbi, it was said that your interpretation of the law, your interpretation of the scripture was to be a yoke was to be a yoke. That that was your yoke that you would pass on to your disciples, that they would carry it for you. And if you were a good rabbi, if you were a smart and well-educated rabbi, you would have a very complex interpretation of the law. You have a very well-educated, well-rounded, complex, and convoluted interpretation of the law, and it was said that your yoke was heavy. Because only certain people could carry it. There was only certain people who could understand the things of which you were speaking. There were only certain people who could understand your interpretation. There was only certain people who could bear the heavy burden that your yoke gave them. When it came time for Jesus to pick his disciples, he picked uneducated people. And he told them that his yoke was easy. His yoke was easy. When it will come time for Jesus to give his interpretation of the law, a young man will come to Jesus and he will say, Jesus, what would make God happy? What would please God? What do I need to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, The entire law can be surmised in loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving your neighbor as yourself. My yoke, friends, is what? Easy. My burden is light. Yet Jesus doesn't just call us to not work. Jesus doesn't call us to inaction, but in fact, he empowers us to action. He says, there's nothing you need to earn my love. There's nothing you need to do. There's no amount of work or tasks or or objectives that you could do that would earn my affection for you. He says, but because you have already had it, because you've already received it as a gift, now go and do the things that I have called you to do. I love the way that Dallas Willard puts it. He says that, that grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. In fact, there's nothing we could do that could ever earn God's love. But because we have been loved, but because God has shown us that love, we are now called to action. We are now called to do what he has called us to do. But in the meantime, friends, we can rest. We can simply rest and know that we were created by God. This principle goes all the way back in the Old Testament. Uh, In the book of Genesis, we read that God, this beautiful story about God creating the world, and, and the writer says that God spent six days creating the entire world. God spent six days creating the sun, the earth, the moon, and the stars that he, he, he made the mountains come up and the seas gather together. He, he, he formed all the animals on the ground and the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. He even formed the humans and on the seventh day he rested. Read these words in the book of Genesis chapter 2 that thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all their multitude on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed this seventh day and hallowed it because on it, God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. God rested. And God didn't rest because God was tired, right? God is an infinite being. God is that thing greater than which we can ever imagine. Yet God rested as an example to us. It was that important to God that he show us how to live, that our our, our lives are not only spent creating, but resting. God passed on this principle to the Hebrew people. When he passed down the law to Moses, he made sure that he included the principle of rest. We read these words in the book of Exodus, chapter 20. God said, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. For six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not, you shall not do any work. The Hebrew people were in slavery in Egypt for over four hundred years. We have no concept in our Western minds and in Edmund. We have no concept of a people who have been in slavery for centuries. It's hard to wrap our minds around that. While the people were in slavery in Egypt, they spent most of their lives making bricks. They made bricks and it got to a point where their entire livelihood, everything that they were, was wrapped up in brick making, that maybe even people were known by the number of bricks they could make in a day, right? Some people known as seven, some people as eight, this person is 18, that person is two, and you were quickly evaluated on, on how many bricks you could make, and while they spend this slavery in Egypt, this time of awful turmoil, they cry out to God, God hears their cry and liberates them. He liberates them. He brings them out of the hand of Pharaoh, out into the wilderness that he might guide them to the land that God has shown for them. And when it comes time for God to hand down the law to Moses, he includes the Sabbath day, a day of rest. For he says, Moses, these people, they were known by by their work. They were known before by how many bricks they could make. But now, Moses, now they will be known as my people. And and they should rest on the seventh day. They should rest on this day because there's no amount of work that they could ever do that would earn my love. That they should rest on this day. Moses, they should rest on this day and know that I still love them. This principle gets passed down again and again, even to the time of Jesus. Jesus rested. We read it in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14, that uh, immediately after Jesus fed the 5,000 people, he got the disciples into a boat and to go on to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain to pray by himself. When evening came, he was still there alone. Jesus was the Son of God. Jesus was the one who was fully God and fully human. Yet even Jesus rested. Even Jesus took time away by himself to be alone. That if Jesus did that, how much more then do we need it? How much more than do we need time to simply be, to stay away, to, to have quiet time? When was the last time you had quiet in your life? When was the last time, friends, you, you didn't turn off the TV? Have you, have you ever just done that? Just sit and just, just be without noise in your life. Sometimes it can feel awkward and uncomfortable. I, I, I know that... Uh, m- m- don't tell her, but my mom is the worst offender at this thing ever, right? She just like walks in your house and just turns on my TV, like didn't even say hi to me first, just turns it on and, and comes and gives me a hug just so that there's something on in the background. Friends, we, we don't need it. I think some of us might just be afraid of what happens if we were alone by ourselves, what we might hear God say to us, what we might hear ourselves say, Say to us. But we are called to do this, to be in quiet seclusion with God. Jesus not only knew this principle, but he passed it on to his disciples as well. We read this in Mark chapter 6 that the apostles gathered around Jesus and told them all the ministry that they had done and taught. And Jesus said to them, Come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat, and then went away in a boat to a deserted place by themselves. It's important, friends. It's important to rest. And I think one of the problems with rest is we don't receive any glory for it. Nobody praises you for resting. There's no award for chief rester. There, there, there's no accolade that we could ever receive for this. Yet God calls us to it. And it's not simply to, to sleep or to be. It's, it's not simply this, but it's to know there's, there's no amount of work that you could do to earn God's love. And that if you know that, then you will be a much more gracious person throughout your entire life. If you know that the fact that you are a flawed person, that you are not only a saint, but a sinner as well. If you know that and know that God loves you despite of those things, you are much more willing to be gracious to other people. You are much more willing to forgive the faults in another if you have been well rested and known that despite all of your flaws, God still loves you, that you might even be gracious to another person. And that when others look at you, they would know that you are different. They would know that there's something about you that, that, that they can't quite put their finger on it, but that there is something about you that speaks life into other people, that doesn't tear down, but actually lifts others up, that they might even call us Christians, friends. They might even call us people who speak life to one another. That we can only give that life when we have an abundance of it. We can only give grace when we have an abundance of it. We can only give love, friends, when we have an abundance of it. And that will bring glory to God. I had a chance to uh, experiment in this resting uh, just last month. I've shared with some of you that um, a place that I truly love to go, a place that I feel close to God in, is a place called uh, Camp Egan in Tahlequah. It's a United Methodist campground. And uh, just last month, Melissa and I had a chance to retreat there. To actually uh, go away to a cabin by ourselves and to be for a few days. I had some pictures of them. Uh, the, the obligatory sandal shot, right? And um, this was the cabin that we stayed in. I, it really wasn't much. Um, it was nicer than we kind of expected. Uh, there was, you know, just like this one tiny TV, a, a small kitchen, um, and a bedroom. Um, But we really had no objectives when we came to this time. We knew uh, that we wanted to get away for a while, and we knew that we just wanted to rest, right? And and so we chose this cabin uh, kind of outside of Tahlequah, and we were just going to go there. We brought some books with us, and I spent most of the time on this front porch uh, reading and drinking coffee. Uh, It was really just kind of amazing. I would sit there, and I would watch storms roll in and roll out, and uh, it would just kind of be it was really nice, and, and we knew that we needed this time as well for our souls. And there was this time, as I started to try to kind of experience God, that while we were away, it's odd to describe that I really didn't spend uh, intentional time in prayer, but I felt a proximity to God the entire time. I don't know if you've had these moments in your life where you just you felt close to God. You, you just felt like He was there with you. It was just a great time to, to be away, and while I was there, I, I, I was trying to spend it intentionally and, and in prayer uh, to consider the plans that God would have for me, and, and, I, and I spent a lot of time, you know, praying if, if I was doing the right thing, if I was where God wanted me, and, and what would God would have for me next, uh, you know, what am I supposed to do next, God? I don't know if you've ever prayed that prayer kind of over and over again, but, uh, you know, what am I supposed to do next? What's what's next, God? What's next? What's next? What's next? And I heard these words, and, and it wasn't like th- this big, booming, kind of like Charlton Heston-like voice, right? It wasn't like this, this big, loud thing. In fact, it was this very quiet, still words. said, What you do will bring me glory. What you do will bring me glory. It wasn't that I was going to bring myself glory. And in fact, that was where a lot of my turmoil stemmed from. It wasn't that that I was going to be high and elevated. It wasn't that I was going to do all these things for myself. In fact, my entire motivations were backward. But if we begin with the motivation of bringing God glory, what is it in your life that would glorify the name of God? Is there a motivation in your life that, that, that's maybe backwards, that maybe you've put, put a, a family or work or whatever it is, maybe you've put that elevated over and above God. And maybe you might glorify God to reverse that order, to in fact seek first the kingdom of God. Or maybe it's a habit or practice in your life. Maybe it's something in your life that's just not quite right, that you're supposed to leave behind, that you're supposed to cast away, that maybe that thing would bring God glory. Whatever it is, friends, I, I hope and I pray for you this day that you might rest and glorify the name of God. Amen.